If this is your first time here, uh, we do this every Sunday. And so we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior every single Sunday. Um, That's Easter, Resurrection Day, whatever you want to call it is great. But for us, it's not a one time a year event. It is something that we celebrate over and over again as we gather as God's people to remember that our Savior is alive. Amen? We do not follow a dead religion. We do not follow a dead Savior. We do not submit to a dead God. We follow the living God, the one true God, the only God, Jesus Christ. And so I would love to encourage you, if this is your first time, uh, if this is a random event for you to show up on a Sunday because it's Easter, I'm glad that you're here. But I want to encourage you, come back. Continue to worship this King. And so today as we get to look at God's Word Um, We get to see who Jesus is. We get to see more of who Christ is. Uh, As a church, we've been looking at the gospel according to John. And today we are in John chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 1 through 21. I'll be teaching from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Uh, We don't put the, uh, the text on the screen. We want you to look at it for yourself, have it in front of you. Uh, Mark up your Bible, underline, highlight, do all the good stuff that you need to do with that. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back for you. We are prepared. And so uh, if you would like one of those, you can raise your hand. You can get up and grab one. Um, But we will be in John chapter 10 this morning. I encourage you to turn there with me. Once you're there, if you'll look up so I can gauge the room and know who's ready, and I will read it for us, and then I'll pray, and we'll look at the text for this morning. So John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, would you hear the word of God? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That is the word of God. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity, uh, for the opportunity to gather with the sheep of your fold, those that have been called according to your purposes, those that have been saved from the darkness of sin. And Father, I pray that during this time that we gather under the authority of your word, that you would mold us, you would teach us, that you would change each and every one of us, that we would all leave here different than we walked in. I pray, God, simply that what we know not, you would teach us, and what we are not, you would make us, and what we have not, you would give us. By your grace, for your glory, in Christ's name, amen. So in chapter 9 of John's gospel, Jesus heals a blind man. And under the, whole, the influence of the Holy Spirit, John spends about 41 verses talking about this sign and the ensuing controversy because of it. And what was the result? We, we saw last week that result of this is that the, the blind man's heart is softened. Because of this miracle, his heart is softened. He ultimately worships God. I mean, that's the goal, the point of this miracle, this sign, is that Jesus would get the worship that he deserves. But on the other hand, the Jewish leaders are hardened. They, their hearts are hardened. They, they don't like what's happening. They don't like the fact that, that Jesus has healed this Man, they, they actually kick the blind man out of the temple, and they proceed to then interrogate Jesus. I mean, these are direct polar opposite reactions to this sign that Jesus has just committed. The, the, the sign, the miraculous work of Christ, has now seen two opposing reactions. And in chapter 10, the scene doesn't change here. We've got the same day, 
same characters, you've got the same situation, and then now Jesus is talking directly to these Pharisees. If you look up at verse 40 in chapter 9, remember we ended off here. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things. They said to him, well, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So who is the you, the the Pharisees here? And, And then we see in chapter 10, he says now, truly, truly, I say to you. I'm speaking to you now. I'm giving you something that you need to pay attention to. Now, he's talking to the Pharisees, but he's also talking, those that are around would be listening and hearing this as well. His disciples were were likely here, were likely listening. And Jesus uses this phrase again, truly, truly, which is significant in terms of saying this is something that is new and also something that you need to pay attention to. And Jesus here makes a declaration that is massive. It has tremendous life-giving implications. Here, Jesus states that he is the good shepherd that gives abundant life. I mean, that's the The point of this, the thesis of this portion of Scripture, the main idea here is that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who gives abundant life. Now, before we get to our text and and really unpack this, I want to spend a few moments to help us understand the significance of Christ's designation as the good shepherd. See, as 21st century Americans, most of us are not familiar with the role of a shepherd. We don't have that a lot in our days. Uh, Shepherding is not a very common trade in our society. But for Jesus' audience, it was. It was a very common place. It was extremely relevant and practical because shepherding was a major part of their culture because sheep were an essential element to their survival. And shepherds were responsible for the sheep. They had to take care of a flock. They had to take care of this group of sheep that people depended upon. They dedicated their lives to caring for a flock. They protected the sheep from predators. That They guided them to good pastures for eating. They led them to suitable streams for drinking. I mean, this was their life work. All they did were take care of sheep. In Scripture, we see that many of the men God called to carry out his plan and purposes were shepherds by trade. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, all shepherds. And in the Psalms, we see that God is referred to as the shepherd of Israel. Psalm 81, 
tells us this, 80, verse 1, for clarification if you want to look that up later. But the psalmist writes, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. The same is shown again in Psalm 95, 7. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Like God is our shepherd. He protects us. The point is, shepherding was extremely significant in this time. A shepherd played an irreplaceable role in their society. You had to have shepherds. But why sheep? Why are we called sheep? Why does God refer to his people as sheep? Well, simply put, it's because sheep need a shepherd. We need care. We are needy people just like sheep. Listen, sheep cannot survive on their own. They can't do it. They will not survive. They are defenseless. They are directionalists. And while they do have a sense of intelligence, right, they're not the dumbest animal in the world, they're not the brightest either. Case in point, Here's an article from 2015 uh, in a place that does still use sheep and a lot more than we do. And shepherding is a lot more relevant there. And uh, that's in Turkey. And so the title of this article is this. 450 Turkish sheep leap to their death. I go on. First, one sheep jumped to its death. Then stunned Turkish shepherds who had left the herd to graze while they had breakfast, watched as nearly 1,500 others followed, each leaping off the same cliff, Turkish media reported. In the end, 450 dead animals lay on top of one another. This is in a billowy white pile, right? Good picture. And then it says, those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and the fall more cushioned. So 1,500 jumped, only 450 died because they made a soft cushion for them to land on. The point is, one sheep jumped off a cliff, and everyone else followed. Everyone else followed. Why? Because sheep are followers. They they, they follow something. Sheep are prone to wander. Sheep are prone to go astray. They are prone to make some really dumb decisions prone to make decisions that lead to death. I mean, that's what sheep do. 
and where were the shepherds here in this illustration, in this article? They're just trying to eat. They left the sheep alone. They weren't there. So we can assert here that sheep need shepherding or they will die. They're needy. And brothers and sisters, that is us. We are needy people. We're lost in this world. We will not make it on our own. We need a shepherd. We need someone to come and redeem us. Listen, we are all prone to wander. We are prone to ignorance. We are prone to bad decisions. We are prone to sin. We have a sin nature. Each and every one of us. And our flesh is just waging war on us, saying, feed me, feed me, give me more. And often we say, okay, and we go right over the cliff. We just read earlier in 1 Peter 2, 25, where Peter writes, for you were like sheep going astray. We were like sheep. There's an immediate sheep to people relation here, connection. He says, listen, we're sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd. The shepherd, an overseer of your soul. So people are sheep. We need a shepherd. We need protection. We need guidance. We need deliverance from death. The overall picture in Scripture is that sheep without shepherd are in trouble. So let's look now at our text. As we see Jesus proclaim that he is the good shepherd who gives abundant life. The, the one that we need, guess what? Look, we're not hopeless. We have what we need. More importantly, we have who we need. We have the good shepherd. Got four sections in this passage that the way I wanted to, to break it up, the way I see it here. And you can write these down and hopefully this will just help you to to, to unpack this passage. And we'll, we're just going to walk through this. But uh, first we're going to see that Jesus communicates that he is gathering a flock. So first, he's gathering a flock, his people. Second, we're going to see that Jesus speaks of his intent for the flock that he's gathering. Okay, so the, the why. Like, well, why are you gathering a flock, Jesus? Well, guess what? He gives us the answer. He tells us in verses 7 through 10. And then in verses 11 through 18, we get our, our third section here where Jesus states how he will accomplish his plan. He tells us how he's going to do this. 
Jesus, you're gathering a flock, and what are you going to do with the flock? Okay, this is what you're going to do with them. Well, well, how are you going to do it? He tells us. And then, finally, in verses 19 through 21, we'll see the result. We're going to see the result of this. What, what happens when Jesus makes a declaration like this? What is the result? What is the ensuing conflict, controversy, response? How do people respond to the words of Jesus? Because we've seen, right, church, over and over, the words of Jesus, they get two different responses. Worship or dishonor. So let's look at the first here, the reality here. Jesus communicates he is gathering a flock. Verses 1 through 6, I'm going to read this again for us, and then we're just going to walk through this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. And what does he do? He leads them out. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, so he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. That's the stranger. They don't know the voice of strangers. And then in verse 6, we read this figure of speech Jesus used with them. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So let's stop there and look here what Jesus is saying. See, in this time, the sheep of a particular village or the community would be kept in a common area pen at night. Shepherds have been tending the sheep all day. They then come back, and there's many different shepherds in one community. There's many different flocks in one community. And so they would find different pastures to graze in, and then they'd come back at night, and they would then hire a gatekeeper while they rested, and they just relaxed a little bit before they had to go back to the sheep the next day. And these sheep would be kept in a pen, and they would have a gatekeeper there to watch over the sheep. And Jesus says here that there are some that try to sneak in past the gatekeeper. They, they try to get in over the wall. They want to they steal. They're thieves. They're robbers. But he says there's a true shepherd, right? The true shepherd, the gatekeeper would know them. They would let them in. And then what would happen is the shepherd would call out his flock. Now, like I said, sheep aren't the dumbest animals in the world. And interestingly enough, they actually respond by voice. They, you, they, you could, they, some of the shepherds would name them, uh, but they would, even if they didn't name them, they would know their shepherd's voice. You know, sometimes parents, you know, when you, your kids are in a, a big crowd and they for somehow forget your voice, sheep don't do that, right? They, they know when you're calling them, come on, hey, let's go. They just, they forget. They don't know who you are. Sheep actually follow. 
And they come. So the, the shepherd would come in. He would say, all right, my flock, come on out. And then he would take them to their pasture. The point of this section is to communicate that Jesus is saying, I'm gathering a flock. I'm gathering a people. I, I, I've, I'm gathering a flock out of Israel, and I am calling them by name. Saying, this flock will come to me. And then what he says, too, is that this blind man, in context here, the blind man that I have just healed, the one that just worshipped me, the one that you kicked out of the temple, he's a part of my flock. He is mine. He is a part of my people that I am calling out. Oh, I pray that you're a part of that flock. I pray that you in here today are part of that flock that Jesus is calling. It's the most important call you'll ever answer in your life. He says here, I know he's mine. I know he's mine because he doesn't listen to you. He listens to me. He, he followed my voice. He obeys me now. That's the point. That's why Jesus gives them this figure of speech, a metaphor, a verbal illustration, you could say. Ezekiel 34 gives us the keys to understanding this. Now, I'm not going to read all of this. I really encourage you, write down Ezekiel 34. Read this in its entirety later. But let me just pick up in verses 11 through 16, because I believe it provides very good insight into what Jesus is saying here. Now, in just first off, God tells Ezekiel, hey, go speak a prophecy to the shepherds, to the, the religious leaders, those that were given to care for my people. Okay, so that's how it starts off. Hopefully you will read that later. But then in verse 11, here's what God says. For thus, or Ezekiel says on behalf of God, rather. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. In verse 13, he says, I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. And then if we jump down to verse 15, he says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. This is God saying, I'm going to go get my people. I'm going to rescue this people, these sheep, this flock. I'm going I'm to call them out. 
I'm going to say mine. Protection. The shepherd. So Jesus here is gathering his flock. It's what's happening here. So what does Jesus intend to do with this flock? All right, Jesus, we see it. You're you're gathering a flock. What are you going to do with them? What are you going to do with these people? What, what What do you want for them? Do you want something from us? Let's look. Verses 7 through 9. So they don't understand, right? They, we just read, they, they don't understand what's going on. So now Jesus again said to them, same audience, same people, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. No, no, no. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So now Jesus has gotten way more pointed. I mean, he's getting very direct here as he makes the claim that now he is the door. Now, this is one of the I am statements in John's gospel. I mean, he clearly says, I am the door. So he is the door, meaning he is the way into the fold. Because others have come, but they are thieves. They are robbers. And the real sheep, they don't listen to them. The real sheep hear the voice of God, namely hear Jesus Christ. He says they're thieves. And who's he talking about here? Who is he calling thieves in this situation? The Pharisees. I mean, this is a direct attack. I mean, he's got them in the crosshairs. It's a done deal. You are thieves and robbers. Now, we get a picture sometime of a shepherd, you know, soft and, you know, cuddly, holding little lambs and stuff. But, man, shepherds were rugged. They were manly men that fought bears, lions, wolves. Wasn't those soft, succulent shepherds going on? He says, I am the door. And he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So he says, hey, you're the thieves, and this is what you come to do. Basically, he says, Pharisees, your intent is to steal. Your intent is to kill. Your intent is to destroy. You know why? Because your motives are selfish. You're only concerned about you. You want to use the sheep for for your good. You want to use the sheep 
for your pleasures. You want to take advantage of the sheep. You are a taker. What do thieves do? They take. You ever had a thief come take something and leave something? No, because thieves take. They steal. But church, young, old, and in between, listen to me. If you hear nothing else, listen to this. Jesus is not a taker. Jesus does not take anything. He, he gives us everything. Listen, one of the hardest things when I was just in the world, just caught up in darkness, was like, I'm like, well, if I, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to give up all of this stuff. You know, I'm going to have to give up this and that. And listen, I, man, I wish I would have known so many years earlier that when you follow Jesus, you give up nothing. You gain everything. Everything. Jesus gives us something that we can never attain on our own. Look at the last part of verse 10. Jesus says, this is, this is my plan for my sheep. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came to give his sheep life. To save us from eternal destruction. Listen, we're all going to physically die. Some of us sooner than others, some of us, most of us in different ways, different circumstances. But we will all physically die. What Jesus is talking about here is the judgment after death. You will die and you will be judged for every single one of your wicked deeds. Those that are in Christ that have received abundant life, guess what? Your sins are paid for. We, we, we don't wear them. We, we don't have to worry about future condemnation because Christ has paid for our sins. It's done. I mean, what a Savior. Jesus' intent for the flock he is gathering is to give them abundant life. I want to make a couple of points of just application here. One is there were false teachers then and there are false teachers now. Okay, we, we, we can't miss this here. Many people use their platform, right? They, they use it for their gain. Uh, they're full of fluff. They're full of entertainment. They're, they're full of uh, prosperity. If you, you do these things, and hey, man, your life's going to be perfect. Preachers masquerade around like lovers of God when they are lovers of self. There are many false teachers in the world today, brothers and sisters. There are many that are prostituting the beauty of the gospel for personal gain. Beware. Beware. J.C. Ryle comments, quote, 
Nothing seems so offensive to Christ as a false teacher of religion, a false prophet, or a false shepherd. Nothing ought to be so much dreaded in the church, and if needful, to be so plainly rebuked, opposed, and exposed, end quote. See, we've bought into, as Vodi Bauckham likes to say, the 11th commandment, thou shalt be nice. We think that if we say anything that is divisive, that would point people to truth, that we've just, like, we've, we've just violated something and, you know, we, we, we can't do that. No, we must speak the truth in love. And it's loving to tell someone, hey, you're headed off a cliff. And who you're listening to, this person is wrong. It's the loving thing to do. But we must be aware that there are false teachers. A second point of observation here is an application is that salvation is through Jesus and Jesus alone. Point blank period. He says here, and I'm not going to belabor this because we've talked about it over and over again throughout this, but Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door to salvation. There is no other way to enter the fold of God. Listen, if you're looking for any other way to be reconciled to the creator, look no further. It's Jesus, and that's it. That's it. Third, Jesus came to give us abundant life. He came to give us abundant life. And let me just make sure I clearly state this. That doesn't mean more stuff. That doesn't mean more riches on this earth. Listen, rich people are usually the most miserable. Rich people kill themselves all the time. Those with fame and fortune and popularity. It's not about getting more stuff in this life. It's not about being more liked in this life. We need eternal security. We need eternal promises. We need comfort in this life as we prepare for the next. We need comfort when the hardships of this world smack us in the face. When we see on the news that six innocent Christians I've been slain for their beliefs. We need to know that there is a God who is working all things together for the good of those who are his. And that those people entered into glory the moment they left earth. That's what we need. Listen, life is tough. If you've been around any amount of time, you know life is hard, and it doesn't get any easier. What we need to know is that we will have a shepherd that will guide us through this life and carry us to the next. That's abundant life. It's a life of eternal security with the good shepherd who cares for your soul. So if that is Jesus' plan, if his intent for his people is to give them abundant life, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it, right? Are you? 
I'm all for it. How are you going to do it, Jesus? I mean, these people right here, they, they weren't celebrating Resurrection Sunday. because They didn't know. But guess what? Jesus did. Jesus knew exactly his plan. He came to the earth on a mission. His death, burial, resurrection was not plan B. It was his intent all along. He had a plan. Jesus now states how we, he will accomplish his plan to now bring uh, people together, to give them abundant life. And we see that in verses 11 through 18. Look there with me. So he goes on now to say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Stop right there. So he, he's going back to that word picture, he's, uh, the, the verbal illustration that he's given to us. He, he's saying, listen, I'm the good shepherd. You know, the, the hired hand, he might stick around for a little while, but he's not going to lay his life down for the sheep because they're not his. It's kind of like, you know, parents, when you, if you have a babysitter in the house and you expect the babysitter to, to, to step in and do some good things and, and to make sure that they protect your children at all costs. But I don't know if you expect your babysitter to take a bullet or to fight a wolf for your children. They might run. And if they do, then, hey, I mean, I'm not going to be mad at them. The point is, is that those that are ours, we give a lot more care for, don't we? Look, I love our church members so much. I love you all dearly. But I love my family in a different way, in a stronger way. And in the same way, right, we know that God loves the world, but his love for his sheep, his love for his people is something that is extraordinary, something that we can never comprehend. He says this person, the hired hand, they'll flee. The good shepherd won't. He goes on in verse 14. Look there. He says again, I am the good shepherd. He says, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Here he's talking about the Gentiles that will then be included also. He's saying, right now I'm talking to Israel. I'm talking to the Jews. There are other sheep that will be included here. He says, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So what's going to happen? He tells us here. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, Jesus Christ. Goes on. 
says, for this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So uh, listen, brothers and sisters, you want to talk about Resurrection Sunday and the celebration. I mean, look at the sovereignty of our Lord here. Remember that Jesus Christ here says, I am going to give my life. This is before his death, right? I mean, this is months before. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to lay down my life for a people, for my sheep. No one's taking it from me. Nobody takes anything from me. Like, they're not overpowering me. I mean, we know that Jesus has said he could have called down the legions. Everything Jesus did for us was out of his love for us. I mean, I wonder if you can comprehend that great love. Or if you're so blinded by the world right now and absorbed by things that are so insignificant when it comes to eternity that this thought just passes by your mind. Jesus says, I lay down my life. I have authority to lay down my life. I have authority to take it up again. A couple of points here of just application and observation. I mean, look at the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. I mean, here again, he's showing that he indeed is God. Look at the intentionality of our Savior. He says there's a people that I am going to die for. I'm going to lay my life down for these people. He says, I lay it down. No one takes it from me. Second, I want you to see here that Jesus dies willingly for his sheep. He willingly goes to the cross for his people. Friend, are you struggling with sin? Are you struggling with maybe things from your past that continue to wear you down? Are you struggling with the things in your life that just don't make sense. Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life so that you can live in freedom. He did this because he loves you. John Owen writes here, these 
things proceeded from and were founded in the will of the Son of God. And it was an act of perfect liberty in him to engage in his peculiar concernments in this covenant. What he did, he did by choice, by way of love, end quote. Listen, this also teaches us that Christians can be secure in the knowledge that our salvation is based upon the love that God and the God the Father and God the Son have for one another. I mean, he says here, the Father loves me. The Father has commissioned me. The, the Father says, do this for these people. And he willingly does it out of love, not also for us, but more importantly, out of the triune love of the triune God. So look, when you fail, Christian, and you've just made a mess of your situation, I want to encourage you, repent, flee from sin, but run quickly as fast as you can to the triune God whom your salvation is based upon. That's where our hope is found. We're secure. We're secure in the triune love of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Our assurance rests there. And listen, what Easter, what Resurrection Sunday reminds us of is that these promises are secure. What Jesus said here happened. We know that this took place. Paul reminds the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11, what we should preach and, and what we should now proclaim to those around us. Here's what he says. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you were being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, resurrection Sunday, in accordance with the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Meaning there were 500 witnesses that Paul calls into account here to say, hey, you don't believe it? Go ask them. He appeared to these people. He says, most of whom are still alive. Some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, it's the one untimely born. He appeared also to me. And he just goes on and he just says, listen, this is what we proclaim. And Christians, this is what we must proclaim also. Not that Easter is a one-time event. So many people 
get wrapped up in the holidays of Christians. The holidays of the church. And they're all great things. I'm not saying that we should not celebrate or dress up nicer or do, they're, they're great. But it's not a one time reality that we live with. It is a continued reality. I said that at the, the, the forefront before I started in this sermon. We live in the reality that Jesus is alive. And too often I feel as if we do not walk in that reality in our daily lives. We live as if we're defeated. We live as if we have no hope. We live as if we don't serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the conqueror of sin and death. I mean, that's my king. Is he yours? We must live like that. The one who went to the cross willingly, with authority, knowing I'm going to die, but guess what? I'm going to rise again. Where is Jesus now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, mediating on our behalf. When we sin, mine, mine, paid for. I mean, that shouldn't give us a a license to sin. It should give us the freedom to, to flee from sin. Say, my sin, my debt is paid. I don't have to be enslaved to this any longer. I'm of a new fold. I'm of a new people. I follow the good shepherd. But we know that the result is that everyone isn't going to follow Jesus. They're not going to listen to his words and, and say, I'm in. We see this here in the last section of this portion of Scripture in verses 19 through 21, where we see the result of Jesus' declaration here. He says in verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Because of whose words? Because of Jesus' words. There's a division. Jews don't like it. Many of them said, okay, so here's one response. And so listen to me. Maybe you're, you're here and you haven't responded to Jesus. Maybe this is you. Maybe this is the way you're thinking. Maybe you don't think you're thinking this, but let me just tell you, there's no middle ground. There's no riding the fence. You have two responses. Here they are. He has a demon. He is insane. Why listen to him? I mean, that's the first response here that's recorded. Like, this dude is crazy. He's going to die and he's going to be... He's going to be raised again. Yeah, right. This guy is crazy. He must be demon-possessed. Maybe that's what you're thinking now. I wish this guy would just stop talking. I want to go to lunch. I wish he'd stop talking about Jesus. Like, this, this really doesn't, like, does it really matter? Oh, it matters. Oh, it matters. It matters more than you'll ever know. Others said, 
These are not the words of one who was oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So there's some that respond in anger and hatred and denial. There are some here that we don't see that they immediately believed in Jesus Christ. We don't see that they followed Jesus right then. But they, they said there's got to be some truth here. The sign that happened with the blind man, what Jesus does there demands a response. And some say, can't be a demon-possessed man because he's given this man life. He's given him sight. So, friend, I ask you, what is your response today? Will you follow the world, the sheep of the world, the leaders of the world, the false teachers of the world, right off the cliff, ultimately to death, death eternal, death eternally separated from the Creator. Death and eternal torment, gnashing of teeth, weeping, hatred towards God. Or will you respond to the call of the Savior who says, repent, believe, and follow me? Because I am the good shepherd who has come to give you abundant life. Give us a moment here to just respond. To take a moment, as much silence as we can get, to talk to the Lord. Brother and sister Christian, if you are saved, use this opportunity to rejoice the resurrection of our Savior. If you are not saved, if you have never responded to the call, if you never repented of your sins, placed your faith in the one-time substitutionary death in your place, the death you deserve, the death I deserve, as a substitute for you, I encourage you. Cry out to the Lord. He is merciful. He's willing to save. Take a moment, and then I'll invite the band up and I'll close in prayer. The riches of your kindness that you have lavished upon us, the grace that we do not deserve, the mercy to which we have never earned. But, Lord, you are so kind that you would send us a Savior and that you would raise him to new life, securing our eternal hope that we can now walk in abundant life 
And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that any hearts in here that have not been regenerated, changed by the message of the gospel would be renewed today. You would give them new life, that your spirit would move in this space, God. I ask, Lord, that you would encourage those that are weary, that walked in heavy laden. Lord, that they would trust in their hope, the risen King, Jesus Christ, to carry them through today and into the next. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.